Hello, this is Robert Neville from the Food Justice and Sustainability Program at KAM Isaiah Israel in Hyde Park. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show on Navy Pier in Chicago. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only weekly deep green gardening and environment program heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will... Good planets are hard to find. Good planets. Even though Mike has been known to kill plants, he can't possibly kill every blooming plant in this show. However, just to be safe, they asked him to purchase an insurance policy. And here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are. I haven't paid for it yet. Uh-oh. That's the problem. Tony, okay. you didn't hear that. No, I'm, I'm not listening. Okay. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. <laughs> la, 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 la. Hey, welcome to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Look at all these folks standing out here in Taking front of us. Taking our photo. They just opened the doors uh, to the joint here at uh, Navy Pier. And Tony Abruscato, who is the director of the show, is sitting with us. He was uh, on the program a couple of weeks ago to talk about it, but now... You can tell he's much more relaxed. Yes, much more relaxed and calm. And how could you not be amongst all these flowers and beautiful water features? We can hear the sound. I think it's picking up in the microphones, the sound of the water features back there. So it keeps me calm. Yeah, it it, it keeps all of us calm, okay? And uh, um, we have a jam-packed show. We're going to be here for two hours today. Um, And uh, we've got a lot of great guests, uh, many of whom are connected with the show all of those whom are connected. Well, well, no, one who's not is uh, Rick DeMaio, our meteorologist who's going to be here in person. Uh, yes, and we're getting applause for Rick DeMaio out there from the, the Seed Keeper gals. Rick, your yeah. fan club is waiting. And, and, and stop by the Seed Keeper booth. What's the number there? 237. 237. <laughs> we'll plug anybody who, who walks by here. So, Tony. Um, that just costs you $20. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or fresh coffee, one of the two. Uh, so a, a boatload of people. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and So come on down to Navy Pier because, there's, you know, this is the last, the, the penultimate day. You can come today and tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we always look at it. You can still enjoy outside without getting wet because there's a little rain outside, but it's dry inside Navy Pier, and we have plenty to do. And it's great to see all these people here. Our attendance has been up this year. The response to the show has been amazing. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad, glad to hear that. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, you, you get to sort of now enjoy what, watching people come in and, and do their thing. I mean, there's there's... Right here in the tulip garden, a bunch of people, you know, the doors open and they mm-hmm. came wandering in. They don't care that we're doing radio here. They want to see tulips. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and they, they come in. We have 65 different varieties of tulips in this garden. Uh, they start preparing these basically in August. 
um, which most people, you know, they don't care to realize or don't have to realize, but, but it's a long time. We start this process way, way out. And so you're right. By the time I get here, I'm pretty stressed. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm pretty relaxed all of this week, just watching it all unfold. So, uh, what, um, you, there's always things you learn, I guess, when you, when you do these shows, um, from year to year, what'd you learn? What have you learned so far, uh, in 2017? You know, one of the things that we learned is that we, we continue to try to bring in more gardening-related items into our marketplace booth. We're learning that people want to be a part of that. We're also finding that we're, we're continuing our education. People are really responding well to our education and our kids' activity uh, gardens. We also find that, like with our rose garden, we had an opportunity this year to get the roses into the greenhouses in November and December instead of January, and you can see the results of that mm -hmm. because the roses here this year are absolutely stunning. Well, the guy uh, who's who's going to be on next, uh, Chris Van Cleve, who's uh, standing right over here, will be telling us a little bit about that. He is the redneck rosarian, uh, and he's speaking today. And one of the reasons we want to have him on soon because he's going to speak at 11 a.m. He is, and that's part of our seminar series, which we're rebranding to our Get Growing series. Oh, nice. Uh, uh -huh. And so we're, we're adding in educational classes of Get Growing. But it's great to have speakers like like Chris and others that come and and share their knowledge with the people when we talk about you don't have to have a green thumb to come to the flower show bring your black thumb and we'll get you out with a green thumb <laughs> you know the, the, there are a lot of people out there who who claim they just can't grow anything and i always beg to differ i always want to tell them no i can i can, i'll bet i can get you to grow something absolutely and that's one of the things that i've learned the most because as as you know when i started this i was i'm not a plant person i was not a plant person you are now I'll bet. i am now yeah. I, and and i'm learning that you can grow things and i can grow things um, and and people that tell me that they're not successful, there's some real simple tricks out there and and tools that they can use. That I agree with you. They can you can get anyone to grow. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. So uh, that that is the lesson for today. Yes. Um, so folks, give them one. Let's give one more plug for the show. They they need to come out today or tomorrow. And today's a great day because it's so nasty outside. Absolutely, and it's beautiful inside here. So coming late, out to Navy Pier. How late is the show open tonight? We're open until 8 p.m. tonight. Okay. So you, ah. and tickets after 5 o'clock are $10. So if you want to come out and you you uh, want to get catch a little break in the in the ticket, it's also not as crowded in the mm -hmm. evening, but you can come out between 5 and 8, and there's still plenty of time to, to see all of the show. And you can use Spot Hero for parking. You can use Spot Hero for parking, and we also have remote parking at $15 in four garages. That's all on our Chicago Flower website and we have a free trolley that's running and so they'll pick you up and bring you right to the pier okay we're going to be back with the roses chris van cleve mike novak show with peggy malecki at navy pier if you live in the upper midwest and you're already jonesing to plant stuff you need to get your hands on a grow light from happy leaf led at 18 inches it's small but mighty you can start three conventionally sized flats of seeds in a roughly three by two foot area you can even grow plants that flower and produce fruit. How does Happy Leaf do it? The light is tuned for all plant growth, including flowering plants. You name it, this USA-made LED light can grow it. Your indoor garden will be limited only by your imagination. It's already won the 2017 Direct Gardening Association Green Thumb Award. With the Happy Leaf LED, there's no reason you can't have your own delicious, fresh, leafy greens year-round. Not to mention all of the herbs you need for any recipe. Find out more about the Happy Leaf LED light at happyleafled.com. 
or call 815-414-2209. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Don't miss more than 20 breathtaking gardens from top designers at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show presented by Mariano's March 18 through 26 at Navy Pier. Enjoy the huge marketplace, cooking demos, kids' activity garden, and more. On Monday, March 20th at 1230, attend Mike Novak's free seminar, Debunking Garden Myths, and see Mike and Peggy broadcast live from the show on 1590 WCGO on Saturday, March 25th from 10 to noon. Go to chicagoflower.com. This is your talk. One of the few true originals of our time. On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. We're back at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And as you just heard uh, uh, on uh, 1590 WCGO, uh, I did do my talk last week. Peggy was there. I did. Uh, the title of my talk was called Everything You Know About Gardening is Wrong. Uh, and I, I was debunking a few myths. And the guy who's sitting next to us uh, will probably be able to help us debunk a couple of mm-hmm. rose-growing myths. Uh, and I will get to uh, Chris Van Cleve in just a second. Uh, no pressure here, but we've been telling you about the Sugar Beet Food Co-op for weeks. Have you been there yet? I had some folks asking about it just this morning. Yeah. The Sugar Beet is a community-owned grocery store in Oak Park open to everyone featuring local and organic products. And we'd like to give you, we want you to give them a try. You can get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more. When you mention the Mike Novak show, just walk in the door, say, hey, Mike said, come on in and you'll get five bucks off. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is in Oak Park at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. Stop in, mention the Mike Novak show, five bucks off. Any save purchase. money. Yes, save money. That's the way it works. Um, and we are live at Navy Pier at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, and even Tony Abruscato, director, is taking photos. I, are, are you, uh, like, Facebooking live or something? No, you're not doing any. Oh, you are. You were. Tony's going to Facebook live just for us. Perfect. How, how about that? Perfect, and we'll be trying Facebook live when Rick DeMaio's on later. That's right. And sitting to our right is Chris Van Cleve. Um, who's known as the Redneck Rosarian, an active member of the American Rose Society. He's a, he's a fancy guy. He calls himself Redneck Rosarian, but you, you, you move with the, the movers and shakers in the uh, horticultural world, don't you? Well, just a little bit, I'll tell you. It's, it's an exciting thing to be able to go and share roses with, with people all over the United States, and uh-huh. I'm just really excited about being here today. And uh, you, you hail from Alabama, is that correct? That's right. live a little bit south of Birmingham. Okay. And uh, have you always had an interest in roses? I have, all my life, actually. My mother grew roses, her mother grew roses, and uh, her mother grew. And, uh, so, <laughs> you know, it just sort of goes on and on and on. Well, and you know, it's, that's interesting you should say that because um, I grew up in the Detroit area. 
And my grandmother grew Menarda, okay? And in my family, you called them firecrackers uh, because they looked like a firework going off. Right. We called them firecrackers. I didn't know that they even had another name until I was an adult. Um, and I took some of those plants that my mom had in her yard, which I believe she got from her grandmother or from her mother, and, uh, and brought them to Chicago. And I think there's actually some Menarda growing in my yard that survived the carries on the tradition of the family. I, I, I might be wrong, but I think it does. So I think that's what happens in families. You, and, and they didn't grow much else. I mean, there were some hostas and some other things, but I do remember the firecrackers in our yard. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I know families that have third and fourth generation roses growing in their gardens. And, uh, you know, some of the old garden roses that we have are actually from 1751, mm-hmm. uh, predate that. So uh, it's, it's really exciting to see these, what we call old roses, get new life in today's gardens. Yeah, I, I was reading something about you're trying to help save some of the old gardens. We are. We are. We are actually have some active campaigns around the country. You know, there are some rose gardens that are actually in peril. Uh, really? Municipal- like, like what? Well, municipalities, you uh-huh. know, uh, have a change of budget or a change of scheme in some way or another, and they want to sort of do away with the rose gardens. And, and then and, uh, there are some municipalities like Portland, Oregon, that revere roses. Right, right. And they have fantastic gardens. They do. They do, and they take great care of them. And, you know, I think uh, education is going to be the key uh, to municipalities and just, to, you know, backyard gardeners that roses are not that difficult to grow, mm-hmm. nor are they that difficult to maintain. Okay, I've got a story for you along that line. Back when I first started doing Garden Talks, which was 2004, all right, and I had been doing radio for some time, but this was the first time I, they had set me loose on a, uh, some master gardeners in Indianapolis, okay? A friend of mine asked me to go down there. And I was scared to death. Okay, the first time you go out, and especially with master gardeners, you think, oh, they're going to question everything I say. Right. And, I, and here I was doing my talk about the environment and how we need to protect it, and you need to cut back on the chemical use and so forth. And I went, I'm done. And then I'm followed by a, a Rosarian who advocated every chemical in the book. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and, and it made me think, that, that popped into my head, in anticipation of interviewing you, and it made me think that we've probably come a long way even since 2004 with with roses because there's a lot of shrub roses now. Uh, maybe people don't do the uh, the hybrids as much, um, and and it, they're so much easier to grow than they used to be, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You know, in the, really in the last 10 or 15 years, they've had some major breakthroughs in rose breeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we saw that initially with the, the knockout rose mm-hmm. that everyone's so familiar with. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many different hybrids today. There's a drift series of roses. The Easy Elegance roses that are on display here in the show hall this week uh, are, are very disease resistant. They don't require the chemicals. They don't require a lot of care other than a little bit of fertilizer and a haircut. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I've got an oh-so-easy in my backyard. It's an orange one, um, and I planted it several years ago. And I'll tell you, the thing blooms all summer. Right. And you just, uh, in the fall, you just, or actually in the spring, I hack it back. because. And, and okay, let's give some people, while we're talking about it, let's, talk, yeah. let's give some uh, rose tips here. Um, here in Chicago, it's going to be different in Alabama, but I, I'm kind of interested in 
the different cultures. Here, I like to tell people to cut their roses. They say, when should I cut my rose back uh, in the fall? And I go, no, 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 no. You know, the only thing I would cut back in the fall is um, a branch that's going to blow in the wind and get hurt somebody, you know? Absolutely. And other than that, leave it alone. Wait till the spring. See what survives. See where the buds are coming out. Then cut it back, and, and you're not going to lose even more of your rose. Right, right. You do that cut back in the fall of the year, and you, you will have some severe dieback come early spring with the freeze and thaw that occurs throughout yeah. the winter. And, you know, like you said, if you've got a really tall cane, you want to cut that back yeah. to about waist high, and that prevents wind rock, you know, which can damage the root system. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, we well, I, I was thinking that. of damaging people, but uh, right, <laughs> that's right. a different yeah, story. Yeah, when it's covered with ice and going black. Sure. Now, yeah. growing up, my grandmother always told me, she said, honey, you always prune your roses in the fall. There's no exception. Really? And I prune my roses every spring. So, <laughs> and they do wonderful. So. Oh, dear. Uh, but that's those the, those are important things to know, is, and, and that, that's the kind of thing people want to know. Now, what um, other tips do you want to give folks? Uh, you know, you're, you're doing your talk today, how people choose a rose for, the, for their own yard. So what advice do you give to folks for that? Right. Well, you know, I... I I tell people really they need to educate themselves on on the different types of roses that are available. You know, you talked about those, uh, what I call the prima donnas of the garden, the hybrid tea rose. Right. You know, there are many varieties today of even the hybrid teas that don't require any spray. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, so there's So even those. you can go down that road. Okay. And, and it might mean if you got one in your yard that's been there forever, you know, I, I say this about sometimes about crab apples and they get apple scab. Right. Um, and I say, you know, if you've got one of the new varieties that are resistant to disease, you're going to be a lot happier. And people say, yeah, but Grandma planted that tree. And I say, well, Grandma had bad taste in crab apples, all right? <laughs> you know, you might want to get rid of that because you're going to save yourself a lot of work. And with a, uh, like a, a, a crab apple, in five years, you're going to wonder why you didn't do it sooner because it'll be big enough and it's going to be lovely. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, about 10 years ago, I made a decision – not to put any chemicals in my garden, not to, you know, to, to really convert to a more organic lifestyle yeah, right. and a more organic uh, rose garden. And it has really served me well. Well, and that's the point I was going to make about roses as well. So maybe you've got one that's been there forever, but it requires way too much care. Right. Maybe it's time to Pull let it, it out. go. Yeah. Pull it out. Get Try it a new variety. The... Yeah. You know, my garden is an experimental garden. We, we put roses in every year. We take out the ones that don't do so well, and we move on. I don't really have a lot of sentimental attachment to uh, too many of them. There are a few that I wouldn't do without. You're a cold, cold man. (laughs) So I have a rose question for you. Okay. Having a backyard that is partial shade Mm -hmm. um, to full shade with a little bit of sun, what varieties work better in partial shade? Well, there aren't a lot of varieties that will do really well in partial shade. Uh, You really need at least four to six hours of full sun a day Mm -hmm. to actually get a bloom on a rose. Otherwise, you're just going to have a really pretty shrub. Yeah, because I've I've avoided putting roses in because of that. But I think I have enough four to six if I move it towards the side. So are there some that are a little friendlier to that? Oh, yeah. If you're getting that four to six hours, I would definitely try a couple of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, landscape variety roses like the Drift Series that are available today or some of the Easy Elegance roses that are here. Yeah, because there's where I live, there are a lot of trees and a lot of yards, and I don't see a whole lot of roses out there. So I'm 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 thinking I could have some success with something. So I'll try that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would definitely. When you you know we have these wooded areas, uh-huh. uh, lots of trees, 
you know, the rose roots uh, compete for nutrients yeah. with what's planted around as well. So. Yeah, and, and there's no sun. So just looking for something that would work more with partial. Oh, yeah. I have a question for you since you mentioned rose roots. Um, the the knock on roses is sometimes that they're heavy feeders. What do you have to say about that? Are well, they really? Well, all because roses are, are, are heavy feeders. Most plants are heavy feeders. Most uh-huh. flowering plants are. Uh, to get them to produce a bloom. We actually fertilize in our garden about every six to eight weeks. Really? And hmm. uh, we do that because we have more of an experimental or more of a show garden. Sure. I want to I push those roses to the limit. Yeah. So when I come to events like this, I can, you know, share that knowledge and information. And I'm the opposite, it. okay? I'm the guy who says, I'm going to let this thing grow. Bloom on your own, dude. And <laughs> uh, and they usually do pretty well. I mean, if, if you, you threaten them. Yeah, well, I think that's partly it, yes. But, you know, I got an old rambler in the backyard, and actually I'm thinking of taking that out because it's one of those that the, the pink blooms once a season and then done, and then right. it's all over the place, and you're mm-hmm. just trying to control it. Right, right. Um, but I've got a – you know, I don't have a lot of roses, three or four maybe, and I pretty much leave them to their own devices, and they seem to do okay. Sure they do. They do. You know, roses have been around for centuries and it's only been about the last 75 years or so that we've been picking on them. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been hybridizing them and crossbreeding them, and, you know, that's introduced a lot of the disease problems that we've seen. Yeah, yeah, but now we're going the opposite direction. I have to tell you a story, though, about the guy who bred the knockout rose. Do you consider that a uh, the bane of your existence, or is it a good thing? It's a good thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, because, you know, there are some people in the horticultural realm say, oh, my gosh, Please don't ask me about knockout roses again, okay? Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you've heard that, right? Oh, yeah. Everywhere I go, people say, that's not really a rose. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> Respect the rose. Respect yeah. the rose. Well, <laughs> it I like a rose. I, ha- I had him on, the guy who, who bred that on my show mm-hmm. a decade or maybe a dozen years ago. And we were doing a pre-show talk, and I'm busting him here because I figure it's been a dozen years. Uh, and um, I said, I got to ask you a question. Because you bred the knockout rose, and it, everybody's buying it. Are you rich? And he said, well, we're not going to talk about this on the air, are we? I said, nah, we won't. And he said, uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Ten million shrubs a year sold of the knockout? Yeah. yeah. He's probably making a little bit. Are you, are you doing any breeding yourself? I am not. I am not. You're I, just uh, the guy out there giving out good information. Absolutely. I just run around the country and run my mouth about the world's most beloved <laughs> flower. Well, it is. Uh, that's, you know, very few flowers uh, end up in as much literature as the rose. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's the most romantic flower uh, ever. Uh-huh. So um, what uh, what is, give us uh, the short version of your talk. you got like a minute here. And, uh, oh, a minute? Uh, a minute and a half, maybe. What okay. are you going to do today? Yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking about which rose is right for you. We're going to go through all the different varieties of roses that are available on the market are the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as growth habit, uh, level of care, that sort of thing, what type of bloom are you looking for in a rose? And, uh, and whether, like Peggy, you've got too much shade right. or too you know, much shade, too much sun. Uh, and you know, in the no rose world, there's too no much such sun. thing as too right. much sun. Right? No, there yeah. isn't. Obviously. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Chris Van Cleve. The Redneck Rosarian, thank you for stopping by. Uh, folks, if you want to see his uh, presentation, you got half an hour. You can come down to Navy Pier uh, and go to uh, the seminar room, and he will be speaking and giving you all the answers you need about your roses. Hey, looking forward to seeing everyone. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.
All right. You have exactly two days, as we mentioned before, to get out of the climate variability and into Navy Pier for the 2017 Chicago Flower Garden Show. And while you're here, I would advise you to stop at booth 221, 221 in the marketplace to, and visit the Chicago Land Gardening folks. Say hi to my buddy Ann, and while you're at it, purchase a subscription to the magazine. You might even want to purchase one of the many books there, including Attack of the Killer Asparagus. Can we have a ding for that, please? Thank you. By a certain columnist who shall remain nameless. Speaking of me, oops, I gave it away. Oh. Oops. Feel free to ask what? her why the magazine continues to publish my columns, even though it's clear <laughs> that I make up stuff from whole gardening fabric. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere, or go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com. Or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Chris, do you guys have a, a state-by-state uh, in your area in, we we in Alabama? We state Alabama. Yeah. That's a great publication. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they came up here and they, they took uh, uh, over uh, Chicagoland Gardening. And so uh, I, I'm part of the big chain now. Sounds great. The big fish eat the little fish, I guess, is <laughs> the way it works. We're at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show uh, on Navy Pier. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. It's the Mike Novak Show. We hope you will come by. Look at all the folks standing out yep. here. Grab a magazine. We've got Natural Awakenings magazines here. we got the brand-new April issue. Just some of the first hot. people getting it. That's right. Hot off the presses because I know because Peggy was working on it all week. <laughs> I can't believe they got it printed so quickly. So uh, do that, and we've got a lot of great guests. We're here till noon. We hope you will come by and say hi, uh, and we will say hi back to you. So stick around uh, for our next segment. You're going to like it. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. 
You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? Everybody sing. Tony's out there dancing. Nobody cares for me. Yeah, 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 that's right. It is your theme song. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki, live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Very pleased to uh, have Nathaniel Miller and Nick Fuller sitting on our right. Uh, make, make sure both of your mics are up. Gentlemen, uh, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Uh, good morning. Nick, of course, uh, you might recognize because he's uh, a friend of the show, has advertised on the program, um, and is here for a legitimate reason, not just to hawk his wares, but... Uh, uh, and that is because Nathaniel Miller is the Director of Conservation for Audubon Great Lakes. And uh, tell us a little bit about Audubon Great Lakes and your work there. Do you, now, do you prefer Nat or Nathaniel? I go by Nat. Okay, Nat. Named after my grandmother, Natalie. Ah. She went by Nat, so I go by Nat. All right, great, cool. Yeah, so uh, Audubon Great Lakes is our first time at the Flower and Garden Show. We're uh, super excited. We're a regional field office of the National Audubon Society, so we do bird conservation. A lot, a lot of what we do is try and connect people with birds, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we have a nice, uh, nice stat that one in five Americans consider themselves birders. So there's is that true? That's true. Yeah. That seems high. I, I, I was not aware of that. Well, birds are everywhere, so they're well. They're yes, great, they great, are. Great way to connect, even in an urban setting. You know, in our our urban settings like Chicago are becoming more and more important for birds, just because a lot, lo- a loss of general habitat yeah. you know, across the region. So. People's backyards, city parks are, are really important for 200 species or so that move through mm-hmm. this uh, this region. Well, and, and even more important are places like uh, Montrose Beach, uh, where there's spot. a bird sanctuary there, uh, which is just delightful to take a walk in. Uh, however, I was reading this week that there's a controversy, and it's the dog people versus the bird people. <laughs> uh, but that's probably not the only place in the country where you have those issues, I would imagine. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great spot uh, for birding. It uh, juts out into Lake Michigan, so it becomes one of those critical migratory stopover habitats. The birds migrate across the lakes themselves, so uh-huh. that becomes a big hurdle for them. So those, those areas that jut out into the lakes become really crucial, where they're mm-hmm. really low on energy and need need native plants uh, to, to refuel on, but it's also a great place to take your dog. So there's, there's conflict there if dogs, you know, and the thing is the rules are, are good there. If people follow the rules, it, right. it, it, but it's a few people who are letting their dogs yeah. off leash and yeah. they go and uh, flush out the birds. And, you know, those are the people you just want to whoop upside the head. <laughs> uh, you, you just do because, you know, you'll take that newspaper and whoop them and, you know, leave the dog yeah. alone because right. uh, – they, yeah, because the people don't respond to sit, stay. They, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, they should. I don't know why they don't, but dog. it makes me crazy yeah. that it would be really easy for everybody to, to live in harmony, but some 
some knuckleheads say, I have the right to go. Any, you know, if a statement starts with, I have the right, you know it's going south really fast. So uh, anyway, but, it, but it's, it's, that's a great place to see birds. There, there are a number of areas. In, you know, Chicago, because of the Great Lakes, is, uh, is, is a great stopover for birds, and it's the, uh, the confluence of a lot of different areas, and we see, so we see a lot of different species around here, don't we? Yep, starting about right now, birds are heading north. A lot of them are neotropical migrants we talk about that are in South America, Central America during the winter, and they're coming up now through this area and either breeding here or breeding further north in the boreal forest. So, you know, the, the migration of birds is, is the most perilous Part of their life, so about 85% yeah. of mortality for birds happens during migration because they're moving such long distances. So, you know, we're finding that these even small urban parks and people's backyards are really important for that stopover habitat where they can stop, refuel, eat, have shelter, and then move along. I think that's a really good point uh, that an individual can make a difference, and a lot of individuals make a lot of difference. Yep. Uh, I think some folks are, are under the impression that the only way you can really have uh, bird habitat is uh, in a large space, but that's not true. I mean, uh, Doug Tallamy talks about it in Bringing Nature Home. Every, everybody gets on and plants, puts the right plants in, and, and obviously uh, we're going to be talking about natives here because Nick Fuller is here from uh, Natural Communities Native Plants. But you, anybody can do it, and, and you'll be surprised at the, uh, the birds that show up in your own backyard right now. Absolutely. Yep. The, the smallest amount can, can really contribute. And if we get that mm -hmm. at scale, I mean, that's our goal here is to get a million people to plant native plants this year yeah. and start. And a lot of times it's just awareness. You know, so a lot of folks here, we start talking to them. They say, where can we get native plants? We'd love to do it. Uh, we didn't we didn't realize the value that they contribute to the ecosystem that you have right in your quarter acre backyard or smaller. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's something everybody can do. Well, it, and, and I really love the fact that you've got on your website on Great Lakes Audubon. .audubon.org, plants for spring migrants and plants for fall migrants, which we linked off on the blog this week. Yeah, so in, in spring, um, insects are really important, and we know uh, native plants uh, provide that uh, food for insects, and then the insects become food for birds. And in the fall, berries, and uh, so yes. fruiting shrubs become really important for fall migration as birds head south. So, yeah, there's, you can, you can kind of hone in, and on our new, new database, you can even uh, kind of you can search your area and see which native plants are good for you, and then you can link those to different types of birds. So if you have a preference for woodpeckers or a scarlet tanager, you can kind of get advice on which which plants will draw them in. And you can go to greatlakes.audubon.org/plantings/spring/migrate/migrants. Migrants, or migrants? you can just go to this week's blog, I, and we've got I, spring and fall up there. I'd start at audubon.org slash native plants. That's, that that's the easiest one. And then <laughs> or you can, get right or to you can call Nick. Yeah, you yeah. can definitely call Nick. You know, and, and as Peggy mentioned, yes, it's also at mikenovak.net. Go to this week's show, and we've got uh, some of those links there. Now, Mr. Fuller, it's so good to see you again. Welcome to spring. Thank you for having me. It is Yesterday was spring-like during the day, mm -hmm. but then it kind of dropped off at night. Yeah, it's... Uh, Mr. Variability is standing right out there, Rick DeMaio. He will be on the next segment. He's waving. Um, and uh, we'll talk about that. Why, why is our weather so crazy? But we're talking about the kinds of plants Nat was mentioning that are going to be beneficial to birds. Um, as, he, as he said, in the fall, a lot of these shrubs are going to produce berries, and so you want to get some of the native 
uh, plants out there. What, do you, what kind of plants do you like uh, for birds that are going to produce berries for the fall? Um, you know, there's a lot of plants that people don't even consider um, that are that are even kind of used in traditional landscapes. So one would be service berries. Uh, those are awesome. I love service berries. I never get to have any service berries because the birds wipe them out before yeah. I can get to them. Yeah, my daughter loves eating them. So, I mean, they're both human food and obviously for oh, yeah. uh, food for birds Very as well. Very sweet, wonderful berries. And you get birds that you would never otherwise get in your yard by planting something like a service berry. So cedar wax wings, you know, Nat could probably comment on some of the other species, but but you can't just put bird seed out and get some of these awesome native birds that are in your yard that without planting some of these shrubs. So it's really amazing what shows up when you plant them. So can you, can you give me a short list of maybe three or four that uh, you would advise? Um, you know, sumacs have berries. Those are those are some of the ones that hang on latest in the season. Those probably I'd reserve for larger landscapes. Oh, you got a cheat sheet there, Nat. Can it, you got another copy of that? Yeah, we got a few of them. We can leave them out of the table if you'd like. That sounds uh, great. You know, plums are another good one. Wild plums. Uh-huh. That's, uh huh. So you got choke cherry and an American mm-hmm. plum are both types of plums. Um, and dogwood is another common one that we really like for birds. Yeah. And there's a a lot se- of people- several varieties of that. A lot of people don't even consider dogwoods to have berries on them, but they, they're they food sources, yeah. definitely. So. All right. Now, you, we also mentioned spring. So what is coming up right now, native plants, that are going to help our birds? Well, Ned had commented on the insects. So this is where that comes in to be really critical. And uh, pretty much native plants in general support a huge diversity of insects. And that's basically bird food. And so planting a lot of uh, pretty much any native plant is going to get you more insects. So it's going to get you insects feeding on the leaves. So, for example, um, oak trees are a perfect example. Um, you know, uh, oak trees support 532 different species of moths and insects, mm-hmm. whereas a ginkgo supports five. And so it's almost a net loss if you're planting something that is not native because it's not supporting those insects. So you'll be happy to know that I killed my ginkgo in my yard. <laughs> not, on, not on purpose, but uh, I, you know, I'm the only guy who can kill a, a ginkgo. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but that's pretty tough to do. But... It is, and I managed it, but I, you know, uh, because of, of what you just told us, I don't feel bad. I figure, okay, I'll, now I'll put something native in there and, uh, to replace it. It's, so ginkgos kind of stay put, so they're not invasive per se. They don't really like invade natural areas. But sure. something like a Calgary pear also does not support that mm-hmm. um, the amount of insects and, and native uh, ecology that, say, a native tree would. Mm-hmm. And those actually are becoming a huge problem in natural areas. Almost any prairie around the Chicago area, they're beginning to invade. And mm-hmm. we're having just huge problems with those. Um, they are beautiful you know, they're probably great street trees, but they're horrible for ecology. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have just a couple of minutes here, and um, uh, I'm going to talk about your display here also at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. You were talking about birds. You want people getting uh, interested in them. So you have some really fun art pieces in the, the display. Tell us about it. Yeah, we've par- partnered with uh, Women's in, uh, Journey and Fiber, and they're a local Chicago group that uh, is an art group and does kind of process-based art. And they focused on birds this year. So we're in booth number two, which is right to the right of the entrance. As soon as you come in, you can't miss it. Some beautiful bird displays. And we're Mm going to be out there talking to people uh, just like we're talking about now, about uh, native plants, where they can find them, and and if they know the value that they provide for birds. So uh, super excited to partner on that. And uh, we're gearing up for a a massive display next Mm -hmm. year as well that's going to feature a lot of different native plants. So 
right now we don't have very many native <laughs> plants here. I don't, I don't want to say it too loudly, but, you know, so some of our messages here is, you know, do you know about native plants and, and where you can find them? Because that's a common hurdle for people is their nurseries, uh, you know, your average Home Depot, if you go there, you can't find native plants right. there. So it's tough. that's why it's great what Nick's doing is uh, providing access it's one, one nice. of the reasons we like him. Well, thank you both, <laughs> gentlemen, for, for being here. And uh, come on by the Flower Show and see what they have to offer. And uh, go to MikeNovak.net for links to uh, the Great Lakes Audubon and to Natural Communities Native Plants. Thank you, you guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, no pressure, but we've been telling you about the Sugar Beet Food Co-op for weeks now. Have you been there yet? I have. The Sugar Beets, it's a community-owned grocery store in Oak Park, open to everyone, featuring local and organic products, and we'd like you to give them a try. And you can get $5 off any purchase of $15 or more when you mention the Mike Novak Show, or just walk in and mention Mike Novak. The Sugar Beet Food Co-op is in Oak Park at 812 Madison, just west of Oak Park Avenue, and online at sugarbeet.coop. That's sugarbeet.coop. Oh, oh, look who just brought... Cinnamon roll. roll. Cinnamon roll. Or, oh. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. This is a Rick DeMaio. He's brought his food, so we've got two minutes to chow down on something. Give me a couple of dings. Rick DeMaio, weather and climate coming up next. Stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show at Navy Pier. Captain's Log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org or check out the Chicagoland CSA Guide in the March issue of Natural Awakenings magazine. Chicagoans use your blue carts to recycle. Bottles, flattened boxes, jugs with the lids on, tin and aluminum cans, juice cartons, and mail. No plastic bags, including store bags, no greasy pizza boxes, styrofoam, disposable coffee cups, light bulbs, napkins, electronics, or shredded paper. Put your items loose in the blue cart and not in a plastic bag. Visit RecycleByCity.com Chicago and let's make Chicago beautiful and green. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago.
And welcome back to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show at Navy Pier. Becky Malecki is here with me. And look who just walked in the building, Rick DeMaio. I, I dodged a few hundred thousand raindrops. <laughs> By the way, the sound that those people that people hear in the background is not rain. It's a waterfall. Right. Yeah, but it actually looks like that outside. Is it raining that oh hard Oh, my right God, now? it was pouring, yeah. Oh. Wow. Got here at uh, the and, right time, then. And, and, and the good thing is when I was coming into um, uh, the pier from southbound Lakeshore Drive, it still said 830 parking spaces available. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, they have those little yeah, right, signs. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I'm sure it's down about 800 and, like, maybe 800 right now, but the parking lots are filling up pretty fast. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So the weather, while it's really bad out there right now, it's good enough that you can still drive and come to the show. Mm-hmm. Okay? And park want, inside. And park inside. I don't want people to feel like, oh, my God, it's raining. I shouldn't be coming to the Flower and Garden Show. Yeah, of course they should be coming down. So uh, there's a weather forecast to take advantage of the weather, right? Not to make it as an excuse. Exactly. But, you, you know, yesterday we did it again. Which is, we didn't just set another temperature record. We blew through an old record. It just keeps happening. Yeah, and then and then on top of that, we had the old. I'm eating, by the way, a cinnamon bun. (laughs) Yeah, where'd you get these? From Benison's in Evanston, because your show. All right. Your show, two dings. Two um, dings. Three here, so I really need three dings. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Because the show, as everybody knows, you know, comes from. WCGO in Evanston. Right. right? So, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of a um, local flavor there. Um, but yesterday was, uh, I would say it wasn't a non-typical spring day in Chicago. You'll get those every once in a while. The, the, the upper 60s, upper 70s, and then the pneumonia front, as I like to call it. <laughs> but the 81-degree temperature that we had yesterday, it, it did break a record. But this was, and, I, and I'm counting here, this was the sixth event so far since January 1st of record-breaking heat in the southern plains and the Midwest that has, that has eventually moved up into the Chicagoland area. Yikes. We usually get maybe one or two of those a year. Uh-huh. To get six is becoming to the point now, not, not so much unusual, but it's really beginning to hurt the overall environment. Look at all the wildfires down uh-huh. in Texas, down in Oklahoma, down in Kansas. And on the back side of that last system that produced all that snow in the northeast, the freeze that occurred in the southeast, people don't know it, or maybe they do, 90% of the peach crop in South Carolina destroyed. 75% of the peach crop in Georgia destroyed. And people say, but wait a minute. We had a really, really warm winter. Yeah, we did. But that accelerated all the growth of these plants. And then yeah. we had the cold weather on, on the back side. And, and the environment and the ecosystem just can't keep up. So with when, it. when when was this uh, damaging cold that came down that way? Uh, this was on the backside of that big winter storm, Stella, that mm-hmm. went up the East Coast. You, I know. you gave it a name, don't yeah. you? It doesn't, storms no, I know, don't I know. have the names. The Weather Channel gave it. Yeah, the Weather Channel gave it. But that's you know that's that's my ode to streetcar name desire in yeah. Tennessee yeah. Williams and all that. Stella! They, they right. were Stella. Here we just call it snow and sleet and hail and winter. Right, right, right. We we don't really need to call it a name. But um, <laughs> so so I'm the just thing about it is, know that. All right. yeah. Notice I haven't let him ask me any questions. <laughs> just that how was the weather yesterday? Um, but but <laughs> weather like that is not unusual in the Chicagoland area. Okay. But the weather that occurred yesterday happened about a month ahead of schedule. Okay. Uh-huh. So we don't typically see 80 degrees and a drop off into the mm-hmm. 40s on what the third con- third official or fourth official day of spring. Usually wait about another month for that. Yeah. Uh, it, so the timing of this is very unusual. 
Okay, yeah. And as you said, we've had how many of those? Six of those since January? Six of these rapid warm-ups. So one of the things that I think needs to change when we talk about climate variability and climate change is the narrative. We have to get away from 1.6, 1.8 degrees above Fahrenheit over the last you know, 150 years. That washes over people's heads. It really does. They go, okay, so you mean instead of 49, it's 50.1 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, big deal. Yeah. The event that happened two, three weeks ago, the two F3 tornadoes, Right. that's not supposed to happen in February. And then after that, we had lake effect snow, 40-degree lake water temperature, incredible right. warm. We also had tornadoes that came to Illinois in the month of November a few years ago, 2013, the Washington, Illinois tornadoes. So what we're seeing is the bookends of a normal climate literally being squeezed out of their normal time frame. And people are like, okay, that's weird. But what I'm worried about more than anything are the things that can't talk back to us. The flowers, the trees, mm -hmm. the birds, the animals, the migratory flock of geese, the elk in Yellowstone. Those are the big losers in all of this. We go, yeah, it was warm. We went, in, went inside and cooled off. Or, yes, I had the air conditioning on in my car. In I, the evening, I had the heat on in my car. <laughs> okay, I'm a human. I can do that. Animals and plants, they don't know what to do with that. So one of the things that really needs to be discussed, and hopefully people out here are discussing it, is how some of these extreme variations in climate is affecting their garden and is affecting their flowers. Well, and, and you point out things that the, 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 the critters that can't talk about it and, and how it disrupts cycles. If you get warmth and you get certain insects yeah. that are coming out of you know, they're, they're coming out, but the birds aren't there yet because they haven't migrated. Right. And, and, and the and plants so they, aren't flowering at the right, same time. Right, and, and it's like all, it gets all out of sequence. Yeah, we, lost, it, we lost half of the cherry blossoms um, on, the, on the basin in Washington, D.C., half. Really? They, they I, came, I hadn't heard that. They, they came out three weeks. They bloomed out three weeks ahead of normal, and then we had rain and sleet and snow, and literally half of them are gone. Now, th think about the fact that all of these tourist groups – literally plan a year mm -hmm. in advance to visit when the, when the, when the blossoms are going to be out. Yeah. Right. Now it's three weeks early, and they go, okay, we'll go next week because they're early, and they're gone. Right. Now, they were going to come on school spring break, and they're gone. Exactly, Peg. Yeah. So all of these things for humans, we go, okay, maybe we'll do it differently next year, but how it affects the birds and the bees and all those other things. Right. So while it may sound super geeky, it's important to talk about in a different mm -hmm. way. All right, we're going to get a – Sorry I get so upset about it. No, this. no, no, it's okay. You should get upset about it, and I want to get uh, – when we get over 11 a.m., I want to talk more climate. I, I need to give you get you uh, to give us a forecast. But before I do that, I want to say hi to Beth Botts, who's uh, standing here. What time is your talk here today, Beth? 12:30. And what it what's vegetables month by month? Come and hear what you can expect through your vegetable gardening year. 12:30 p.m. Beth? She gets a date. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Beth Botts, <laughs> friend of the show, who's been uh, co-host and fill in. She does it all, and writer extraordinaire, and uh, for the Trib and other publications, and Chicago Land Gardening Magazine, and come and hear her talk about veggies. All right, let's do a forecast, and then after 11 a.m., we can wax a little more poetic about. Oh, now you just took a big bite. <laughs> I just bit into my cinnamon bun. You want me to get a forecast? You're on the radio, dude. Don't all right, right. into the mic. All right. So, so bottom line, two forecasts here. Okay? okay. The weather today is terrible, but it's good enough to get out of the house and get to the flower garden show. Okay. Okay. So temperatures in the 40s today, but a lot of rain. Overnight low tonight, 40 to 45. This system basically weakens as it comes through. How much time do we got, by the way? Uh, about a minute. 
Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Um, tomorrow, the whole system falls apart. So cloudy, a little bit of sprinkles in the morning. 50, maybe 55 at all on the lakefront. 55 to 60, 65 a little bit further south. But most of tomorrow should be kind of like the end of an of a old weather system. Next one comes through on Monday, cloudy skies, maybe a little bit of rain. But it looks like we begin to dry out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But the most important thing about this, Mike, the chances for a frost or a freeze over the next two weeks yeah. is literally less than 10%. Okay. That's good news. Mm-hmm. All right. Because so I've been ready getting emails from people saying, when do I put my what, tomatoes when, out? When, when are we done with the cold weather? I think right now we're done with the cold weather. We're definitely done with winter. Oh, okay. But don't put your tomatoes out. Can I no, tell no, you no, that? No, 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 no. No, we know that. All right. That's Rick DeMaio. Uh, those of you around here, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little more climate stuff uh, at after the top of the hour, those of you uh, listening on the radio, uh, you're going to have to catch it on the podcast, all right? Uh, and it will be at MikeNovak.net. Uh, this is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are broadcasting live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Uh, and uh, we have a bunch more guests uh, coming up. And, uh, and they- We're going to have Ahmad Hassan of the DIY Network and Brian Helfich of Aquascape. So come on down to the flower show. You still got the opportunity. We will talk to you in the flip side, as they say in radio. Have you ever started vegetable seeds indoors and imagined the lush, gorgeous seedlings you'd plant in your garden just to be disappointed with the straggly small plants that actually grew? You're a candidate for the Happy Leaf LED Grow Light. It's five times more powerful than a T5 fluorescent bulb. T5s only start seeds and support some growth. But the Happy Leaf Light is an all-purpose LED with precisely tuned red and blue spectrums that allows the full range of plant growth. But if it's so good, why is it priced at just over $100? Well, selling directly to consumers allows Happy Leaf to prices within reach of the serious gardener who's seen grow lights that cost several hundred dollars. With the Happy Leaf LED, say goodbye to spindly tomato stalks forever and say hello to strong, lush plants that will make you the envy of the neighborhood. Find out more about Happy Leaf LED Light at happyleafled.com or call 815-414-2209. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show on Navy Pier in Chicago, it's the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Flower of the field, here today, vanish in the wind. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, live, 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 live from uh, Navy Pier and the 2017 Chicago Flower and Garden Show. We are sitting in the Tulip display. In fact, uh, Jaime's over there, and he's going to stop by a little later. He designed it, and I want to talk to him uh, uh, about this and his tulips. Um, and they're gorgeous, and you should come down to the flower show if you get the opportunity. Rick DeMaio is still here. We wanted to, you know, we usually don't have enough time. We haven't in the last couple of months to, to talk about everything we want to talk about uh, in terms of climate. So I thought, okay, this is bonus Rick DeMaio time. <laughs> so, uh, and thank you, by the way, for the cinnamon rolls that you, you brought. The cinnamon rolls from Benison's in Evanston, where yep. WCGO is. Right. Um, we were talking off air, 
here about um, some of the climate variability right. that's happening this year. And, and, you know, in the segment before, we talked about how it wreaks havoc with uh, our wildlife. Right. But uh, getting away from that and just looking at numbers, you're saying that February was a, a really a spectacular month this year. Yeah, uh, it was just released um, last week from uh, NOAA that the month of February 2017 was the second warmest February on record globally, uh, and that goes back to 1880. Wow. But from an anomaly standpoint, and that's really what we need to look at, is Uh how warm or cool temperatures are, this was the fourth warmest month ever. And this was a non-El Nino month, meaning that... When you say fourth warmest month, you're talking about globally. Uh, globally, and if, you add up, and if you add up 137 years mm-hmm. of data, every one of those months, this particular month, or last, last February, ended up being the fourth warmest from an anomaly standpoint, okay. which is striking, because when you don't have an El Nino, typically that means the oceans have cooled off a little mm-hmm. bit, and studies have shown that about 90% of the warming that the Earth has seen over the last 140 years goes into the oceans. About 2% goes into the atmosphere and about 3% goes into the land. So the fact that the oceans actually cooled down a little bit shows you that some of that warmth has actually translated into the soil, which then re-radiated back into the atmosphere. So when we talk about positive feedbacks, Mike, we talk about the fact that if you don't have snow on the ground and peg, um, the sun can now warm up the earth Mm -hmm. The earth can then warm up the air. If you look back at the temperature pattern that we had in the month of February, no snow on the ground, no cold air. The ground was basically thawed out. Sun angle was hitting that ground at about the same angle as it does in the middle of October. Mm -hmm. Even though we were getting temperatures of 65 to 70 degrees in February, that same sun angle is what produces temperatures of 65 to 70 in October. You follow my line of reasoning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what happened was the sun is just going to warm us up the way the sun always does. Right. But the earth re-radiates that heat back into the atmosphere, mainly due to the fact that there's either snow on the ground or the ground is frozen. Without snow or freezing temperatures on the ground, you can warm up to 65 to 70 degrees. So from a climactic standpoint... It's not impossible to get that, Mm -hmm. but what is impossible to get is this period of 60, 70, and 80 consecutive days in the Midwest with no snow. That becomes alarming. So my question to you is Uh the lack of cold and now the fact that we've had an incredible amount of rain since January 1st, almost 8 inches, what is that going to do to the health of the bulbs? Because we're in the tulip area. What is that going to do to the health of the tulips? that typically like it cold and dry during the wintertime because it puts them basically into a state of hibernation. Yeah. How is that going to affect that part of the ecosphere, the ecosystem, and the biosystem? Those are the questions that I have back to you. It, well, you know, I, I would love to have a, uh, an expert on bulbs here, but, you know, as you point out, a lot of these bulbs come from Mediterranean and, and Eurasian uh, right. areas where there's a lot of dry weather at certain times of the year, they just want to sit there nice and dry. Um, 
this is when they're actively growing, when, when it gets warm enough. And I don't know if this kind of weather is going to cause them to decline. I, it's not going to kill them. Right. Uh, but it's possible they won't be as vigorous this mm-hmm. year as they have been in, in other years. I don't know for sure. I would, uh, and it's possible it doesn't affect them at all. Right. Um, so, so the thing about it is, from an agricultural standpoint, there are a lot of people who are very nervous about what happened in 2012 when we had literally almost $8 billion of agricultural losses yeah. due to the fact that we had such an incredibly warm winter, we had an incredibly warm and dry spring, and then we had one of the hottest summers ever on record. Mm-hmm. We're already seeing temperatures in the 80s and 90s week after week across Texas and Oklahoma yeah. and wildfires. This is only the middle of March. Yeah. This isn't late April or early May. So there's a lot of intrepidation about what's going to be happening over the next six to eight weeks. Because in science, you always need to have some sort of an experiment, some sort of data set, some form of analysis, some form of conclusion before you can say, we need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. If you only have one set of data, you go, okay, that was interesting. Let's wait for it to happen a second or third time. So if this spring and summer ends up to be very similar to 2012, there are going to be a lot of bells and a lot of red flags being waved saying something really has to be done from an adaptation and mitigation standpoint for the agricultural community. Now, typically when that happens, you look to the federal government for help. Mm-hmm. Big yeah. pregnant pause there, right? Yeah, right. Do you think yeah. there's going to be I, any I was help for coming? The buzzer. Yeah, do you think there's going to be, like, or like the gong show going off? Yeah. Um, we feel now more than ever that whatever support that was put there before mm-hmm. us yeah. by the Obama administration and previous administrations as well has now completely been pulled out from under us. And that's really sad. Well, and you're speaking from the science Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. From, from a standpoint of research dollars, funding, um, Scott Pruitt can say everything he wants that's, that's insane um, about the fact that he believes that carbon dioxide is no longer one of the contributing... No longer. Is, I like it. It's like it stopped being a, it right, went away. a greenhouse and, and, gas. And, and when I was watching the Wisconsin game last night, I was there with a couple of the meteorologists. As, as the head of the EPA, if you're going to come out and say, I don't believe that carbon dioxide is the cause for Earth's warming over the last 120 years, as a scientist, then come up with something else. Then come yeah. up with something else. He didn't. He just said, oh, that ain't happening. Yeah. yeah. So all he's doing is he's basically mm-hmm. a puppet for Donald Trump and the fossil fuel industry. And this is happening at the worst possible time. Absolutely, Peg. And, yeah. when, and when you think about it, all these other things that have been going on now... You know, Trump wants to roll back um, car emissions uh, for the entire mm-hmm. United States automo- automobile dealers. If you look at the top 10 SUVs sold in this country, eight are non-U.S. cars. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that if you're rolling back emissions on U.S. car companies, the other companies across Asia and, and Germany and Europe are going to eat our lunch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is this happening? It makes zero sense. They believe it'll help the U.S. automakers become more competitive. No, that won't help them become more competitive. That helps them become less competitive. It makes zero sense. And the only reason why he's doing it is because the former president did it, and he's going to do whatever he can to say, whatever he did, I'm going to do differently. He has no legacy. Right, because that's what my voters want. You know, after a while, the the, the numbers are going to get so low for him that he's going to have to go, you know what? I really need to stop campaigning 
and start governing. <laughs> and yesterday's and yesterday's non-vote of the health care bill was a perfect example of how it is much more difficult to legislate than to run a real estate company. You're right. We're yes. doing this is all happening at a time when it can least mm-hmm. afford to happen right. in terms well, of science, like, in terms of the climate, in cl- terms of the way things are changing. And, and, and even and it, Noah, you know, let's get rid of funding for the satellites. What? Right. And and it's fine, Peg. If you if you're going to say okay, no, I don't believe that, then come up with an alternative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His alternative is no funding for this. But I'm going to raise my military funding. But, but this Rick, amount of Rick, money. Rick, the problem here is that you're assuming that he behaves like a rational human being, but there's there's no sign of that. Okay, zero, zero. And the people he's brought in are they are destroyers. They are they are meant right. to destroy, to blow up things, and so that's where we're we're stuck at the moment. And until things change so dramatically, you know. And one of the things you're talking about is getting help from the government. If farmers uh, are, are losing crops hand over fist because of changes, there's going to be change. There's going to be some help from Washington. There's going to have to be. I, I, I really believe that, and, and, I, and I feel so bad because up at Loyola University where I teach climate change and climate variability, I have students who are graduating coming this spring that are fearful for their futures. They go, do I, should I really continue to do this? Should I go into this field? Yeah, and and I feel for them because they're the ones that for the last four, five, six, seven, eight years are like, this is my chance to do something. And now they feel like they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes, and that's really sad from that standpoint. And we have to leave it at that. Rick okay. DeMaio, thank you so much for coming down to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, we're Thanks, broadcasting Rick. live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show at Navy Pier. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are very pleased to have at our table here Ahmed Hassan from the DIY Network, who's got a mouthful of banana. Yes, I do. It's delicious, though. But, you know, you're getting your potassium here. I'm getting my potassium in, and I'm saving my banana peel for my compost demonstration that I'll start at 12 noon. Oh, so... You're, oh, that's great. Perfect. So this is part of the whole backyard thing that you're doing. Cause, Absolutely. Um, hold on. We can slide. The, oh, it's. Yeah. There, that's, I don't okay, know if that's going to hold. You got it? It's easier yeah. if you hold it. Because yeah, otherwise you, you kind of. You know, I'll yeah. just hold the mic. Just hold the mic. Yeah, they're a little. You're a pro. <laughs> You've done this once or twice, you know. True. You know, the, I just use the, the mic stands are there for decoration, basically. Right. To make it look like we're professionals. What was the bell all about? 
Oh, it's just Are our... we ready? We're ready. No, the, we're ready? You, you got a bell for composting the banana peel. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, always. I was it's looking like... over at your guys' cinnamon rolls. First of all, I don't think those are going to make it beyond here, so I won't get that in my compost. All right. But maybe the napkin when you're done. <laughs> Tell us, well, a little bit about yourself and Yard Crashers, mm-hmm. uh, which is your claim to fame. My claim to fame, really. Um, I am a professional gardener who became a landscaper. The landscaper became a TV host. <laughs> it happens and, sometimes. Right? And then the TV host. It's a dirty, thankless job, but somebody's got to do it's it. It's totally a dirty, thankless job. Sometimes it's thankful, but, you know, yeah. it all depends. It, it depends if the check bounces or it doesn't. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so I went from being a TV host back to being a landscaper, and now, like many others in my industry, I'm learning that um, I've started going into sustainability. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah. That has been the trajectory of my own career. All yeah. right, you're, you know there's no money in it, right? Uh, right, there's none. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, hey, look, you, you got to look, look at all the businesses I've been involved in in my life. Not-for-profit theater. Yeah. All right, I ran a theater company right. for ten years. You do years. it because you love it. No money Make in no that. Make no money. Uh, got into radio. No money in radio. Right. Horticulture. There might be, but not when you go into... Not really. Not, when, not really. You do it because you love it. You, you, exactly. you do all these things because you love it, yeah. and then you're like, how do I pay my bills? And sustainability, <laughs> nothing. They're, you're right. not going to get make but any money there. if you can sustain, there's something to be said for that, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and the point I was going to make, though, is that you know when you start off in this business, it sounds kind of similar to what happened to you. What I realized when I started a gardening show, and it was basically, okay, how do you plant a rose? How do you plant a petunia? Right. And then I because they're so different. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you know how do you, how do you plant a cucumber? Sure. Um, and but what I began to understand is that wait a second, there's a bigger picture here. Mm-hmm. It is what's in your soil. What are you doing to the, to to your soil, to your yard, to your environment? Um, are you making it better than you found it? Uh, and right. and I began to become aware of that. And I think any serious gardener goes down that road eventually and has to consciously look at what they're doing and and how to make it about the betterment of the planet. It becomes holistic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's if, kind if of, you're paying attention. Yeah. And as you get older, we tend to do that. Um, you know that what's interesting about gardening, I'm not going to say landscaping so much, but gardening is a lot of really, really good gardeners, people that are just so sophisticated and so knowledgeable at what they do, don't want to do what you and I are doing right now. They don't want to talk on the radio. They don't want to be on TV. They're hermits. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. want to sit at home and play in their greenhouses and do what they do <laughs> and connect with the earth, but they're not going to get out there and share all of the wonderful information that they have because it's just And teach not, others. Right. It's not necessarily part of their personality. So the difference with me is that I'm the big mouth landscaper. <laughs> I well, love to share the information. And, and, and that's great. I love that. But I also love bringing scientists on the show and horticulturists who don't like to do that and right. try to draw it out of them because Absolutely. they always have great stories to tell. For sure. Um, and like like our meteorologist Rick DeMaio, and you were um, going at it with him about uh, the rainfall you've had in California because right. you're a California guy. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what is this whole El Nino, La Nina, and the after effect and what we're dealing with. But of course, he's he's on such a higher level that 
he could just talk over my head all day long. But, well, but he, it's interesting to he me. He will talk all day long. Yeah. That's for sure. But and he's uh, and he's got great stuff to say. But that's what I why we love him. We love having him come on the show. And he doesn't just give us a weather forecast. He's talking about the climate. How's it changing? How's it? You know, he was asking us questions today. All this rain we've had and and the fluctuating temperatures in Chicago. What's it going to do to the bulbs? Right. You know, mm-hmm. does it does it make them decline a little bit? Are they not as vigorous as they might be? They're too wet because a lot of these, as you know, are Mediterranean and. And, and as Absolutely. I mentioned, uh, and they love the dryness of that, and we we slam them into the, you know into clay soil here in the Chicago region, alkaline right. clay soil, right. and we want them to just you want them to look the way they do here at the show. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that that I like doing, and I get to do at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, is I get to take very complex information that's taken me several years, sometimes decades, to learn, and my job is to simplify it mm-hmm. and make it to where everyone gets to learn. Mm-hmm. The old, the young, and everything in between. And I just have to, I really, I, I told my girlfriend, I said, I have to teach people, I have to teach adults the same way I teach fourth graders and sixth graders and just not be condescending about it because they just might not know. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of times they don't. Yeah. You know? I, I, I did a talk. Peggy was there on Monday. I did my talk here, and it was called Everything You Know About Gardening is Wrong. And it was it was about it was about myths. It, it, he just covered everything. Yeah, right? everything. Yeah. Everything. And one of the did things, you talk about rocks in the pot helping with drainage? Yes, he did. He yeah, did. That was like numero uno. Right. There's all, there's all of these things that people are like. We don't even know why we do. They're like, well, my grandmother did it, so I do it. Must well, be your good. grandmother was so wrong. You folks out there who are, are are doing this live on Facebook, don't put rocks in the bottom of your pot. It's unless you want to make your pot really heavy. Exactly. So in that case, you might. You might want to put styrofoam. Regardless of what you put in there, it's not going to drain as well as if you put dirt in the whole thing. And that's sort of the way it goes. So what's even more interesting is to tell people where that came from. Do you know where it came from? No. See, you've got more gray hair than me. You're supposed to know these I things. I know I'm supposed to know these okay, things. Okay, so let's, so let's back up and talk about it. And as soon as I talk about it, a light bulb is going to go off and he's going to say, he's right. Got it. Because this is something no one told me. Like, it took me 20 years to try and figure out, like, where did this come from? Uh-huh. I mean, I've taken soil science n- n- a number of times. And I'm like, I don't understand how rocks improve drainage. If you're in the bottom of a swimming pool and, and you're drowning uh-huh. and I swim down to the bottom of the pool and stuff rocks in your mouth, you're not going to come floating <laughs> to the surface. So I tried to figure it out. And what I realized is that a couple of generations ago, so my grandfather's or my great-grandfather's time, what did they grow plants in? On an industrial level, on a production level, how did they grow plants? In what kind of containers? Before plastic containers, they were growing plants in terracotta. And before terracotta, they were growing plants in coffee cans, mm-hmm. oh. metal coffee cans, okay. right? And they would just make drain holes the same way you open up a coffee can, right? Those little triangle, yep. little yep. can openers. Yep. Yep. So they would make holes in the coffee cans, and then they weren't using potting soil. Back in the day, they just stuck oh, they earth. Sh- yeah, right. It was just yeah. dirt. Yeah. You just dug up some dirt, stuck well, it in a, in a now, metal coffee can, it's right? It's not even soil now. They call them soilless mixes. Exactly. You know? and so they used to just stick dirt in the can. So dirt is, of course, a combination of sand, silt, and clay. And clay is the problem. Right. Because that dirt would, over time, settle, compact, and it wouldn't drain. Right. And some genius figured out, well, if you stick a couple inches of rocks in the bottom of your coffee can, then you stick your dirt on top. What the, what the clay soil will do is it will expand and contract. And when it shrinks, the water can go around the clay <laughs> as it wets the clay, but it will go around the it'll clay, go around it. down, go through the rocks, and, out the and the rocks help the drainage. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And that's how long ago that came up. And now people are still putting rocks in the bottom of their potting soil. And it makes no sense I will, I'm going to steal that for the next time I do that talk. <laughs> does it make sense now? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of does, yeah. Th- these are the things that, like, they're old and there was some truth in it. But at mm-hmm. some point we, we, we couldn't figure out why we were doing it. And people just continue to do it today. And, but you, and you started all of this by saying that there are things that people don't know and you have to be kind uh, and explain to folks because one of, one of the things I've discovered is that a lot of people just don't know how plants work. Right. They don't understand the basics about Correct. how plants work. Well, and it's just like they don't understand how their own bodies work. Correct. Uh, and so you have to be educated in that. I, uh, say, I was at that talk, I was saying I was not a fan of rototilling, and a woman raised her hand in the front row and said, What's rototilling? And I went, yeah. okay, see, this is really basic exactly. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you got to explain Or double it. digging. Yeah, or Same double thing. digging. I said double digging Correct. is a myth as well. And what's double digging? Uh, okay. And, and and you think people know all this stuff already. Like I, uh, the other thing I, I asked, I tell them, do you know about the, the, the four-step program? Yeah. And a lot of people have the, never the heard of it. Is that like program? the Texas two-step? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> except in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, but it's... You can't just assume they know all exactly. of this. you got to start. start with the basics. So yeah. we back up. So I'm really good at traveling the country and talking and inspiring gardeners of all mm-hmm. different, you know, uh, knowledge bases about whether it's the basics or it's something very complex. And the basics is fun. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your talk. Uh, so I'll be covering things like we're talking about today. A yeah. lot of what I'm going to leave time for because I did two presentations yesterday. Yeah. And what I noticed was the most popular, what people really wanted, what, what had me extending my length of time on stage was the Q&A portion of the show. People <laughs> That's are looking gardeners, to talk yeah, to they professionals. Want answers. Yeah, they, they want, want answers. answers. Yeah, they, you know, people are inspired at spring. You want to get out there. You want to do some work. And it's like, where do you find someone who you can ask good, solid questions to and get great answers? You come down here to the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. So what are the big questions you're getting? It's not even big questions. I'm just getting any questions. Yeah. You know, people want to know. How, what can they grow under their trees? And why is their lawn not doing well under their trees? Or, you know, um, they want to get rid of their gravel mulch and they want to bring in a different mulch. And I'm like, do you know that your gravel mulch will never need to be replaced? And they're like, really? I said, yeah, you put wood mulch out there or fir bark or pine straw or anything, you've got to replace it every year. Suddenly they but now the want to keep their gravel but, mulch. But the, yeah, but the drawback <laughs> is you're also providing nutrients to your plants if True. you have so, organic. So I spend, uh, I, I spend probably half of my talk talking about composting, the benefits of composting, how easy it is for, for people you. to compost, and how everyone should be doing it, and it costs you zero dollars and zero cents right. to make your own compost and, at home. And, and the uh, downside of not doing it, obviously, is that you're throwing this into the garbage, and I'm using air quotes here, right. and it goes to the landfill and it produces methane. Correct. Which we need to stop because that is a very potent greenhouse gas. And, uh, and, and and actually, speaking about compost, I saw a friend of mine did a, a thing on composting, a, a presentation on it not too long ago. And she was almost uh, ashamed to admit to the audience, when you compost, you actually create carbon dioxide, which is true. Yeah. That's a byproduct. However, it's better than creating methane. So that's the trade-off. Yeah. Uh, but you also create uh, a product that you can use in your garden that has lots of biology and micronutrients. You the only product needed worldwide that's absolutely free. I mean, it takes a little elbow grease, of course, because you sure. got to turn your piles. Right. It's absolutely free, and it's what every garden needs, and it takes care of 97% of all the ailments in your garden. You can literally not be a consumer if you understand how to compost. 
you don't have to buy potting soil. You don't have to buy planting mix. You don't have to buy fertilizer. You don't have to buy pesticides. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And your plants look great. I know. It's, it is the wonder product. Uh, and it's really not even a product if you're, if you're, if you're just recycling yourself. It's a waste product. It's, it's a waste product. <laughs> that, that banana peel. That's right. highly valuable. Exactly. Or so I ta- I talk what we call the banana peel, future dirt. That's the Absolutely. Na- yeah. It's what plants want to grow in. So I, I, I start off by explaining the other industries that come up with tremendous amounts of waste products, which the landscape industry, we live and thrive off of, but they're really a waste product from some other industry, like yeah. all of the decorative boulders and gravel and everything that we use. It's from coal mining. It's from blasting. <laughs> it's from, uh, and from gold mining. And then, you know, you've got to go through a lot of rock to get to all those wonderful ingredients, those precious metals, and those boulders and rocks all end up as decorative use in your landscape. And that brings up all sorts of ethical questions. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Of what you're supporting. So there's a whole lot of that. So yeah. <laughs> when, when you get into sustainability... Are you going to answer, you you gonna answer ethical uh, questions I, too? I, huh? I answer them as politically correct as I can. <laughs> and I let people know that the word sustainability is another S word for conscientiousness. Mm-hmm. And you could probably flip-flop that word to benefit you in one area or another area, depending on how smart you are. And if you've been listening to him wax poetic, that is Ahmed Hassan. He's from the DIY Network. If folks want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, I do have a website. It's ahmedhassan.tv. It's an easy way to find me there. And, uh, of course, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Look up Ahmed Hassan or Ahmed Hassan Celebrity Landscaper. Or you can go to MikeNovak.net. Yeah. We've got it up on our uh, show page and uh, in the, on the blog for this week. So, uh, Ahmed, thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful talk. It's at noon. It's at noon and at 2 p.m. So you've got two Today's. times to catch me today. So uh, all you folks... Go on over there, and he will, he will treat you to ethical questions. And, uh, <laughs> and collect your banana peels. Yeah, yeah. bring your waste products over there. We'll talk about what works in your compost <laughs> you better, you and what you be shouldn't careful, put in your careful. compost. Some folks might take you up on that, uh, oh, you're, but you're not getting my cinnamon roll here. All right. No, no, no. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're live at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show on Navy Pier. We will be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? That's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair care products available to make sure you get exceptional color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins ordinarily found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots offers non-toxic, vegan-friendly nail services. They've also just introduced a complete menu of natural hair care services for textured hair of all lengths. And how many salons do you think repurpose hair clippings, recycled product containers, and use LED lighting? Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. The crowds are really picking up mm-hmm. here now. Yeah. 
as we approach the uh, noon hour. And we are sitting in Tulips Blooming, which is Garden 17, if you come down here. Uh, and we have the builder and the grower. Hi, how are you? That's Jaime. That's me, Jaime Anguiano, and I'm the builder with uh, Eurobrick Incorporated. And we designed this garden specially for the tulips. Usually the tulips are out in the middle of the showroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This year we actually created it so we can put all these beautiful tulips in here and really show our craftsmanship, our workshop. It's beautiful. And Joe is the person responsible of all those tulips. <laughs> Joe? Yes, I'm uh, originally from the Netherlands. I'm in the tulip business. Of course. Uh, we're actually a wholesale company. And seven or eight years ago, uh, the show management asked me uh, if uh, we can do something with tulips here because they saw a different show where they had a nice tulip display. And uh, I said, well, I don't know yet because it's a lot of work. <laughs> so Details. I held, I held off for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden I said, well, why not? And uh, so I'm born and raised in the flower bulb industry. Uh, my parents were growers, my grandparents, great-grandparents. You come by it honestly, huh? Uh, kind of, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, what's your last name, Joe? Uh, you want the uh, American pronunciation or the Dutch one? The Dutch. Uh, Van der Vlucht. Love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I had one of those for breakfast. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that tasted good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Enough coffee, it was perfect. Uh, I have to ask you, because we asked this question earlier when my meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, was here, uh, about what effect the weather we're having has been really crazy in Chicago. It, it gets cold, and then it, it's been ridiculously warm early in February. We've had a lot of rain. Uh, since you deal with these bulbs all the time, do they take a hit? Do they decline because of that kind of weather? Uh, no, because uh, I get a lot of questions from, uh, you know, like in, in February when we had uh, warm-up spells also because yeah. we had an abnormal yes. uh, warm February. They say, well, my daffodils are coming up. My tulips are coming up. I mean, oh, my God, what do I got to do? Do I have to cover them? I said, no. I said, nature will take care of them because mm-hmm. it's the same way in the Netherlands. When we grow bulbs, uh, when they're coming up, we still have night frost. Even when they're blooming, we mm-hmm. have night frost. Uh, when a tulip uh, is in full bloom, like, like for instance here, and we have a night frost, the, f- the flowers are going to hang down. Right. As soon as the sun comes back up again and they thaw out, the flower straightens up again. Uh, but I guess my question is, is not the uh, immediate effect, but a lot of these bulbs, they like drier conditions, right, when, when they're in, in dormancy. Uh, well, actually, a bulb is never in dormancy. Okay. The, uh, when the tulip is done growing, uh, we have our digging season in, usually in June, July in the Netherlands. All right. They, the tulip actually starts working already for its next flower for next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we give them temperature treatments. Uh, there are two different types of temperature treatments. The planting stock, the small bulbs, we give a temperature treatment for production, for bulb production. Uh, all the bulbs that are used like for, uh, for sale for in the landscaping, uh, the greenhouse industry, uh, they get a uh, different temperature treatment for actual flower production. Mm-hmm. So they create a bigger flower, so more energy out of that bulb goes to the flower. In the Netherlands, as growers, we don't want that. We want more energy to stay in that bulb and grow a bigger bulb, of course. All right. So, that's, so, that's, so uh, folks uh, here in Chicago have no worries about uh, their bulbs coming up, uh, um, even even if we have an uh, unusual amount of moisture in the spring and well, crazy. Of course, 
of course, it builds like moisture. And today mm-hmm. we have a rain. Yesterday with a warm up. Yeah. They don't mind the warm up, and they don't mind the rain. <laughs> uh, so, All right. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like with us. I mean, we need the rain also, and right. we need the warm ups. Well, you learn something every day. All right. Before we let you go, Jaime, you got You're the hardscape guy, okay? Yes. He's, there's the horticulture. You're the hardscape guy. You put this together. What What was the challenge here? Challenging thing here was uh, to make this work for this t- particular garden, the design, because uh, you want to have enough space where you can still show off all your flowers and have a beautiful landscape, of course. Yeah, one of the things you have is wide open, so you just get yes. to see all the tulips. So that yes. was kind of kind of the deal here. This with, is definitely with a waterfall the, in the middle. Uh, yeah, we build a waterfall. Uh, and definitely, people come in here for the tulips. It's like one of the main areas they want to come out. They want to be able to take pictures as close as you can to it. And like I said, this is it worked beautiful. We did a beautiful waterfall with landscape brick pavers. And you know, go to uh, eurobrick.net and look at all of our beautiful work. It's fabulous. Thank, thank you. you guys both thank you. for thank stopping you so much. by. Thank you very much. And thank you for being hospitable for us here, uh, taking over no your, problem. your garden. Thank well, you. Wait till you get to Bill. <laughs> All right, I'll play. Of course, that's probably going to be cut. (laughs) No, it won't. I'm not cutting anything. (laughs) All right, now we make a transition to Brian Helfrich, uh, who's from Aquascape. And and if you come to the show, you can look right across from the Tulip Garden and you see the Aquascape uh, exhibit. And the, the, the thing that I think everybody's talking about at this garden show is the chains and the waterfall chains. What, what do you call them? How do you describe them? That's the, probably the easiest way to call it, um, describe it. They're uh, rain chains. So, so we call it the rain chain garden. Somebody mm-hmm. was calling it the chain forest. Somebody was calling it the <laughs> rain forest. But um, the idea actually came from a project that we built out in Mount Prospect. And uh, he wanted a creative way to bring water to his pond. He had a pavilion that kind of sat near his pond, and he wanted to interesting way to do an automatic fill valve Mm -hmm. and so we set up an automatic fill valve through a rain train that tops his water off due to evaporation and i remember thinking to myself if one looked cool 150 would look very very Mm -hmm. cool how many do you do you have that many here there's about 150 really really it doesn't look like that many no um but you know i've seen those before that's not uh, a completely new thing rain chains have been around for a while even coming off gutters yes yeah. rain chains have been around for a very very long time i wish i could tell you how long but <laughs> i don't know um it's an alternative way to bring water off of your roof rather than the aluminum downspout uh-huh. and so it's just a creative more artistic way to bring water down and in, and I think everybody loves the look and the sound of the mm-hmm. rain chain when it's operating. The challenging part is you can only enjoy it when it's raining outside. And so we decided to turn it on so you could see it all the time. Uh, and is there a, what's the difference between it coming down a downspout uh, and on a chain? Is the volume different? Is, is there anything at all that's different? No, not really. It's, um, I think what's interesting about rain chains is the, the amount of water that's coming down, will, you'll actually collect about 95% of the water down the chain. You'll get, lose a little bit of water due to splash. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's but, the only difference. And that's the only difference. And the harder it rains, the faster mm-hmm. it'll come down. The <laughs> less rain, the slower it'll move. So uh, what else is going on with Aquascape? What, what do you do at Aquascape, by the way? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm the VP of the local market. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of the designs and installations and that kind of stuff. And uh, I run a retail store, and so I, it keeps me pretty busy. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Where, um, where's your store? We're based out of St. Charles. Yes, I, okay. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. you're talking about, you run that store? 
there's, there's, there's a retail store out there inside okay. of a very large building over there. Right, we I've, have a I've been there. It's yeah. amazing. It's yeah. an amazing place. I was place. taking the pond tour online. Yes, absolutely. So um, we do have pond tours. We call it their Water and Garden mm-hmm. Showcase. And the third weekend of every month, past customers of ours open up their backyards and let people walk around, get ideas. It's kind of a lot. It's a lot like the flower show, but yeah. it's um, outdoors, mm-hmm. right? And so if we have one in Downers Grove, June 17th. We have another one in uh, July, and then we have a third one in uh, August in Barrington area. And, of course, you have that magnificent pond out front there, and there's uh, the, the cave uh, with the waterfall, yeah. uh, which is really cool. Our showroom out there is quite incredible. We have a, an enormous pond with a, a 10-foot high waterfall that you could actually walk through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's completely open to the public. We have an indoor showroom that shows all different types of water features, the same water features that we have here. What we like to tell everybody is um, everybody wants a water feature. They just don't know it yet. And so we try <laughs> to show them replicatable, relatable type spaces. Well, you know, that's what the uh, Pond and Koi people do. Uh, also say everybody wants koi they just don't know it yet you know <laughs> they want them in their their yard so what what are the trends now in in uh, pond features water features in in yards so i think what's neat about the industry is that um really it's evolved so much and and you think about water features way back when and 20 25 years ago when everybody thought of ponds as a lot of maintenance and that kind of stuff and the technology has made it so easy to maintain ponds with auto dosing systems which automatically add your water treatment products for you, um, different things to take care of algae, that kind of stuff. And, and then the introduction of pondless waterfalls. So if people aren't interested in fish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can yeah, do these It just disappears waterfalls. into the ground and then mm-hmm. comes back. It's pretty cool. And so if you don't want the fish and you don't want to get into the hobby of the fish, then you can do these waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, really low maintenance. You don't need quite the amount of space that you might need with a pond, that kind of stuff. And then the, the trend of fountains, small spaces. So we've really got water features of all kinds here in our booth. And then, of course, um, at our showroom. And that's the same reason we do the pond tour is to show people different types of water features to try to inspire people to kind of liven up maybe a sleepy area of their garden. Well, and the other thing is the, uh, the audio part of it. You know, people love that sound. There's something really soothing about that sound. It's, um, it's what draws you to it, right? And it's very relaxing. And, and yeah. that was part of the inspiration with the rain chains. There's mm-hmm. something about being able to sit outside when it's raining, yeah. and it's very relaxing. And when you sit by this rain chain, you can't help but really think it's raining outside. And, <laughs> and it can be a little overwhelming when you have 150 of them. Yes. Yeah. But if you don't like the sound of that, then a babbling brook might be mm-hmm. something that you're attracted to. Or just a simple little urn with water bubbling through yeah. it. Plus you're attracting more wildlife to your yard. Exactly. So people that uh, are into birds and that kind of stuff, when you add water to a backyard, the amount of different species that will show up is pretty incredible. That's a, another good reason why you, you might want to do that. What are the challenges? Uh, and by the way, that's uh, Brian Helfrich from Aquascape, Inc. And if you want more information, you go to aquascapeinc.com. Uh, and you can also link to uh, my website, mikenovak.net. Look at this week's show. We've got some links there, too. What's the challenge of putting in a show like this? Uh, how is it different from uh, a backyard installation? Well, as, as aside from the fact that it's temporary. Right. <laughs> um, I think the biggest challenge is you're building up, right? We're, we're situated on a concrete floor. Ah, right. And so everything has to be elevated in order for us to get the water storage in there. Um, 
it gets easier and easier for us every year. I think what's nice is um, because we've been doing this now for quite some time down here at Navy Pier, we've made a lot of great relationships with other people that are exhibiting. And everybody, it's kind of like an old-fashioned barn raising. Everybody comes together yeah. to help out and get it done. And uh, without a fantastic team, we don't do it. Uh, and one of the challenges, obviously, because I've been to a lot of flower shows here, it's how do you keep it from leaking? <laughs> you know, that's always the challenge. It's sure. Because, as you said, it's difficult. You're building up. And in a yard, if you got a, a tiny little leak, it's going to go into the ground. Here it goes onto the concrete. Yep. Um, obviously, we, we uh, have been doing this a long time, so we really focus on making sure that that doesn't happen. Right. Occasionally, a little splash gets out here or there, but that's not that big of a deal. We no. want to make sure that our rubber liner underneath all of our water features is... Uh, is prepared the exact same we, w we would outside. Mm -hmm. If we're going to build a pond uh, in your backyard, we want to make sure it doesn't leak there either. Well, Brian, thank you so much for stopping by. We were a little concerned earlier because uh, it is loud over there, but it hasn't really affected the, the broadcast that much. So we're we're more and we're, and, and we're more relaxed. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We're, yeah, I can't figure out why I'm so I, I'm having <laughs> coffee, but yet I feel so relaxed. What is this all about, <laughs> Brian? Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, thank you guys. You. All right, this is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're broadcasting live from the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. We will be right back. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, creates a direct relationship between you and a local farmer who grows your food. You support a farmer financially up front, and your farmer provides you with local, sustainably raised food during the growing season. This could be a weekly box of vegetables, a monthly share of meat or eggs, and there are many other options. To find your farmer and the CSA that works best for you, go to bandoffarmers.org or check out the Chicagoland CSA Guide in the March issue of Natural Awakenings magazine. We're headed into the home stretch here at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And last but not least, uh, Bob Passavoy from the Midwest Pond and Koi Society sent these two wonderful women over here. And introduce yourselves. I'm Charlene Sabolsky. I'm Alita Beltate. You can hold that just a little closer, Alita. I'm Alita Beltate. There you go. Uh, because you guys have a big uh, anniversary uh, gathering this year, don't yes, you? Yes, we do. The last weekend in June is our 25th anniversary of our Koi show and our trade show. And it's basically two events in one. Uh, our crazy members, they bring all of their fish from their backyards. And we show them just like you would at a cat or dog show. And they're judged and awarded. <laughs> I've been to some of your Koi shows. <clears throat> they're pretty remarkable because you've got one tub after another and there's yes. all these beautiful beautiful fish and uh you know we were talking earlier with uh, brian helfrich from uh, aquascape who says everybody wants a, a, a water feature in their yard they just don't know it yet and bob passavoy is the kind of guy who says everybody wants koi and they just don't know it yet correct well we have the fish we also have the water gardening a lot of our members have maybe just small pots with plants in them and goldfish. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. also have goldfish at the show. 
So basically, we have the trade show has all the materials, all the supplies you would want if you want to put a pond in, or you want to make changes, or you want to get new plants, or you want to take home that cute little four-inch fish. <laughs> Which will grow into a cute uh, three-foot well, fish. we have about 35 in our pond, and the average size is probably about 20 inches. Ooh. Ah. Crowded so. pond. What's the, uh, what's the oldest fish you have? Uh, it's about 10 years old. And it's about 32 inches long. How old do koi get to be? Generally? Well, they say like 100 years. So, oh my goodness! I don't know. We'll have to see what happens here. Well, <laughs> well you're going to just have to to live it out and see uh, if you can keep up with your koi. Yes. They're so, like, like parrots or something. Yeah. So our big event is three days. It's Friday evening, June 23rd, and Saturday and Sunday, June 24th and 25th. And we're going to hold it at the Max in McCook, Illinois. And it's open to the public. It's free admission. We have seminars going on during the weekend, uh-huh. so it's a lot of fun activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're hoping your viewers will come out, your listeners will come out and uh, well, uh, well, well, here's enjoy what, it. Here's what we've got to do is, uh, is uh, as we're getting closer to it, we've got to have you guys back on the show to talk about this, or maybe get Bob. Yeah. Uh, oh, he loves to talk about it. I know it. he does. Bob and we need to, to have talk. you come out and broadcast from our show. That you know, would be great. We, we might have to uh, consider that as well. Okay. Well, how can I be? I can be bribed. Side. What? We'll be pond side. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I'm just going to stand hip waiters in the water and see if I can reach in and grab koi. Um, so uh, before we let you go here, um, what what should folks know about jumping in and getting some fish in their backyard? Well, it's an evolution process. We started with a very small pond in our backyard, about 200 gallons. And in the last 20 years, we have evolved to 12,000 gallons. Wow. So it's there's never enough water in your backyard, but you can start with just a flower pot with a couple of goldfish and a plant in it. And then you can grow your love of the hobby to however much time you want to spend with it. So it's really up to you to decide. But yeah, Isn't that nice? You just it's need freedom. little 50 gallon. In fact, we have some people that have koi actually in fish tanks in their house, in 20-gallon tanks. So, Really? Yep. I didn't know you could do yep. that indoors. Although we can't put them on pond tour, you know, because it has to be outside. <laughs> That's the winter tour. That's right. Now, what, That's right. what do you do with the koi in the winter? Oh, they stay outside. All the plants and but fish stay outside. But if you're in a small... Somebody who just has on their patio a small pot? Uh, for that, you'd have to bring them in, or you'd have to put it into where it wouldn't freeze. So, But what the I, what, regular ponds, everything stays outside. Hmm. If it's uh, deep enough, they can hibernate, and okay. all that you need to really have is uh, a bubbler system and some way for the gas to escape. So there has to be one open spot okay. on the pond. But our fish over winter... What I what and I've been told. We're happy to see them, and they're happy to see us in spring. <laughs> well, yes, of course, because I've been told that uh, in the winter, what they do is they go to the bottom of the pond and they sulk. And there we go. We have a woman just stepped up and showing us her fish photos. See, everybody's got you know. Some people do their kids. Some people show their fish, and, and some people do their cats. Well, listen, thank you so much. We will uh, keep that in mind, the 25th anniversary celebration. And, again, where is it going to be? When? It's going to be at the Max in McCook, Illinois, June 23rd, 24th, 25th. Please come out. Midwest Pond and Koi Society. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, we're wrapping up here. Wow, that was a fast two hours. uh, It sure was, and we sure crammed a lot of 
uh, stuff into it. And we want to thank all the folks who stopped by the uh, Tulip booth here at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, uh, starting with Tony Abruscato, president and show director of the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, uh, Chris Van Cleve, the Redneck Rosarian, Nathaniel Miller from Audubon Great Lakes, and Nick Fuller from Natural Communities, Ahmed Hassan, uh, oh, and, and, and standing right in front of us, the uh, Seedkeeper gals are here, uh, and they, they both popped up, uh, Carol and Carrie. Uh, have uh, been waving at us today. Uh, who else did I miss? Brian, Brian Helfrich. Helfrich from uh, Aquascape. We had Joe and Jaime from uh, from the Tulip Garden here. And uh, Charlene and Alita from the Midwest Pond and Koi Society. Want to thank all of them for being... And w- I'm sorry, what? Tanya from Milwaukee. Says hi. Says hi. It's just wandering by. Yep. Everybody. And we want to thank Rick DeMaio for coming down to the Flower and Garden Show, bringing us cinnamon rolls, too. You betcha. That's it. Until next week, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Mm-hmm.